unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Nathan, I'm good. How are you? I'm good, and I've been waiting on pins and needles for an entire seven days to get to the second half of this week's episode. We've got Mike Pavlish back on, and he kind of left us with a cliffhanger. So I've been, I've just been waiting to get to the continuation of this call. Yeah, he said he was going to tell us about curiosity, and we'll get to that in a minute. I just want to remind everyone, Mike is the master of the sales letter in the supplement niche, but what he has to say will apply to every other niche too. That makes between 10 and $20 million. That's eight figures. And as we mentioned last week, he's written for some of the most successful, biggest supplement companies in the world, Agora, Dr. Al Sears, Healthy Directions, and many, many others. And he also writes for some smaller entrepreneurs who sell supplements online. All told, Mike's sales letters and VSLs have sold more than half a billion dollars worth of supplements. Think about that, half a billion dollars. Last week, Mike shared with us some incredibly valuable information about how to prepare before you start writing and some insider tricks for getting your copy read and acted upon. That means sales. But there's so much more he has to share with us. We asked him to come back for a second show and he agreed. And before we jump in, perhaps you could agree with this. Copy is powerful and you're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. Most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health or finance or business opportunity, for example, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. Mike, thanks for doing the second show with us. And I believe we would like to, we've got a lot of things to cover, but let's start with curiosity, shall we? Yes, let's start with curiosity, which I think after customer benefits is the second most powerful factor you can use in direct response advertising. And I'll tell you why. We are hardwired genetically to love curiosity. If you think about it, people have an insatiable desire to know the unknown, to discover the answer, to close an open loop, to be curious, to finish a story that started. Indeed, storytelling itself, which is the oldest form of effective communication, uses curiosity as its main root structure of persuasion so i have a i may do a paper a book on something which i call mike pavlish's curiosity principle which when you use curiosity properly along with traditional direct response customer benefits it supercharges the the response rate and the conversions you can get from your copywriting. Um, 
It can be used on many parts of the advertising structure, including number one, you can use curiosity about the story idea. For example, how a California mom ended her digestion problems with an old secret she learned in Japan. Yeah. Uh, number two, curiosity about the mechanism name, how a seven second body push technique is ending digestion problems for people worldwide. Number three, curiosity about the name of an ingredient in a supplement. For example, how this natural, in quotes, deep sea cleanser, end quote, is ending digestion problems for people worldwide. Does that give you a few ideas of how you can use curiosity? Yeah, it does. I mean, once you get someone's attention, then the next biggest problem, well, I guess the biggest problem is making the sale, but along the way is getting someone to keep interested into saying, what's that and what happens next? Right. Absolutely. Did you want to talk at all about the hero's journey and in, in stories? Yeah, absolutely. But the thing about curiosity I want to tell, you, tell your listeners about is that the key to using it effectively, where 99 or most people fall down, is this. As soon as your copywriting reveals what the actual thing is about that you're teasing the curiosity of, you don't want to reveal it early. You have to keep it open and in a secret and keep the curiosity going. If you reveal the actual details early, you close the whole curiosity loop. And most prospects will at that point say, oh, okay, now I know it, or it's not, I'm not that interested in it, or now my curiosity is satisfied. And you lose a lot of people's interest at that point. In other words, that would be like revealing who the murderer is 30 minutes into a 60 minute episode of Law and Order. Or who the villain is on page 10 of a 300-page whodunit mystery book. You wouldn't do that because people aren't wired to like that. The longer you keep talking about curiosity aspects and, the, and also customer benefits, the more the, des the desire builds up for, for what you're selling, the more intensely the prospect wants it. In fact, if you think about it, David, I know you go way back to the classics, the most successful direct response advertising. But yeah. uh, a lot of them never even told you what they were selling. They kept the curiosity until you bought the product. For example, boardroom reports, what never to eat on an airplane, right? Remember that? Oh, yeah. And I don't know if he ever told you in the letter what never to eat on the airplane. That's what I'm saying, right? Bullets are like this, too. They tease the benefits with curiosity and, of course, a customer benefit. For example, the household spice that can help you lose 10 pounds. Native online ads work 100% on curiosity. For example, the two healthy foods that diabetics should never eat. Healthy foods that you should never eat. It's like, if they're healthy foods, why can't I eat them, right? right? It's a juxtaposition. Even good brand advertising uses curiosity. It's something as simple as, or retail advertising, smart people use it. You know, come out and try our new XYZ sandwich. You won't believe how different and delicious it tastes. Free bonuses work on curiosity. Order within 10 days and you'll get a surprise mystery free gift worth $30. So curiosity and copywriting and advertising is proven to work great. It can skyrocket your sales and your income if you use it properly. And so it's very important to keep in mind if you're an offer owner or a copywriter. That sounds good. Okay. So how about stories? Well, Joseph Campbell started it all when he put it in that beautiful PBS series, The Hero's Journey. 
went back into myths and legends and throughout history, how the hero's journey has captivated us and motivated us to fight wars and right and do anything and give our lives, give people give their lives for causes and whatnot. And that's how powerful a good story is. And it gets back to what I said in that first episode about the empathy hand reaching from the prospects problems to how you understand them to how the product will solve those problems, the hero's journey. So really what people want, they don't want to buy from a company, company's faceless, bland, you know, but they're much more motivated to buy from a person that has a journey that's been where they are now suffering from a problem that's overcame it, overcome it. And it's a hero's journey. People love you know, a journey which has the, the problem and then it gets worse and little up and then it gets bad again. You know, it's, you can study the whole hero's journey and then they discover the breakthrough solution somehow. And now they're sharing the solution with you, the, the prospect. And uh, that story arc is a proven way to persuade. And I use it and it's very effective. You use something else, too, that I've never heard of before. And I really like it, and I'd love for you to explain it. You have a unique mechanism for the problem and a unique mechanism for the solution. Now, maybe everyone doesn't understand exactly what a mechanism is, so you might want to define that quickly. But how, how do you do that, and, and why do you do that? When people read a sales letter or, a video, or watch a video sales letter, they have to come away, to buy, they have to come away with two, two thoughts. They have to come away with the thought that, okay, when I watch this, they have to watch it or read it and say, okay, now I see why other solutions I've tried before have not worked for me. And to help ease my joint pain, say, since we talked about that in episode one. Mm -hmm. But why this solution is different and why this solution should work for me or will work for me, right? So the unique mechanism is basically some kind of transforming agent, some kind of bodily function and supplements that let's say for joint pain, it's, this is something that acts in a certain way on your joints that other supplements don't do. And that's why other supplements haven't worked for you, but this supplement will, because so that breaks it. So now we have to, are you with me so far? Or do you oh, yeah. Have any oh, yeah. It, it's the way that it works. So that's different. And because it works this different way that other things don't, it will get results when other things haven't gotten results. Right. So we got to break that into two parts now to make it even more powerful and, and get even higher conversions. We break it into a unique mechanism of the problem, or I call it the UMP, but unique mechanism of the problem. That is what is causing your joint pain. What unique mechanism is causing your joint pain? That's unique mechanism of the problem. And then our solution, what's the unique mechanism that makes our solution work on the solution? UMS, unique mechanism of the solution. So now here's the key thing I want everyone to understand. If you do this properly, you are sealing tight all the exits for people to escape from and not order because after they read that, consciously or unconsciously in their mind, they will say to themselves, oh, I see why other things I have tried have not helped my joint pain, but now I see why this will. I get that, but let me drill down on the unique mechanism of the problem, because I think other people have talked about the unique mechanism of the solution before. 
but you're saying you describe the way the problem occurs in a way that they haven't seen before. Is that correct? Yes. And that takes a lot of brain work. That takes a lot of hard brain work. You can say, hey, look, I'm going to make this as simple as possible because I don't want to overwhelm anybody. In episode one of this podcast, we talked about, and I read copy about a vision improvement supplement it had to do with the iPhone camera. Mm-hmm. So I'll That's just great. go back to that so I don't have to re-explain and read a whole nother. It, sure. it just be really simple. Yeah. So now the unique mechanism of the problem I came out with was your eyes need an a your eyes need electricity, which is very true. Your eyes need electricity. Your body is made up of electricity. Your body needs electricity. Your eyes need, excuse me, your eyes need electricity to run effectively and give you good, better eyesight so you don't have your vision problems. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I gave it uh, some kind, uh, some doctor gave it some kind of name, vision, electrical vision deficiency or something. So I use that as the unique mechanism of the problem. Right. And people, and just to interrupt you for a second, by me, people who have had, have been trying to solve vision problems, they've heard that the cornea changes shape or something. They've never heard that there's a, an electrical deficiency in their eye before. So they're going, whoa, I didn't know this, right? So that's the unique mechanism right. of the problem. Right. Yeah, you gotta try to find something that people have not heard before or massage it into a way that's a little bit different or position it in a way that's a little bit different. Yeah. But nobody wants to read, nobody is going to keep reading or watching something that for long or really be motivated to buy if it's something they've heard before or they're not, you're not going to get much, you're not going to get a blockbuster that I want to write that sells 10 million, 20 million, 50 million dollars of a product. So it's, you want something that's fresh. Now that's why the word unique mechanism of the problem, unique mechanism solution. Yeah. Um, I see why this locks all the exits and tell me if I'm getting this right. If I'm as a copywriter, if I've defined the problem and the mechanism of the problem, the way the problem works in a way that no one's ever seen before, then they can't go shopping other solutions because glasses or LASIK or whatever else I'm thinking of doing, as far as I know, doesn't deal with electrical deficiency in my eye, right? Is that the thinking? So the only way to solve it, this problem, is with the unique mechanism of your solution because no one else is even talking about that problem. Right. And we wish, of course, we always wish it was that clear cut, but there, you know, it's never, it's hardly ever totally novel, revolutionary, new. I'm sure if you look hard enough, you'd find some people talking about it, of course, but not, it's not mainstream. Right. Or obviously you can't say you don't need glasses or whatever, because you say it just may help your vision, but you can't say, you know, you don't need glasses. No, I, I, I don't mean that. And I all just... those compliance and legality things have to be in order, but, but right. I know what you're saying exactly. In the moment of reading the letter, which is, really what we're most concerned about. It's like, okay, there may be some Sherlock Holmes prospect who's going to go Google and electrical impulses in the eye and so forth, and they might find it. But 99 out of 100 people won't. And they'll just go, oh, I haven't heard of that before. That sounds pretty good. So yeah, basically, it's very important to come up with unique mechanisms that are fresh and exciting, because we all crave the new, the novel, the breakthrough. And our jobs as copywriters is to find something that's exciting and new and, of course, compliant, but then 
So it takes a lot of hard work. And that's why I've refused to do and haven't done podcasts ever because, but what I'm seeing now online, David, really got me angry. All these, because of social media, Facebook, people pop up now and are saying, oh, I write a sales letter in three hours, you know, all this BS. And there's so much bad information now about copywriting and, and, and business and direct response marketing that I find them coming out of my shell. I've always been kept a private life, but it's, you have to really dig to find and work to find these things. It's not, there's no easy button. There's no easy pill to take to dig out these things. Well, on, on behalf of the listeners, sorry you got mad, but I'm glad you got mad because uh, otherwise we probably wouldn't have gotten you on this show. You know, one of my favorite topics is something I think you have something to say about. I don't think it's a lot of people's favorite topics because they don't seem to use it. And I'm talking about proof. There's way too many offers in B2B and in consumer direct marketing where the proof, it's sort of implicit. It's like, trust me, because I'm saying so, and I'm a cool person. And that doesn't wash as far as I'm concerned, especially with a broad market. Could you talk about proof? Sure. That's why I usually like to start my research when I write a new sales letter or supplement. I used to start my, I like to start my research by finding proof of the human clinical studies that prove that a nutrient helps the problem and then work my way backwards from there because you can come up with these great, you can come up with great ideas, but if there's no proof behind them, not only can you get into trouble compliance wise, legal wise, but you won't be able to write a sales letter, a video sales letter, an econ page or a TV commercial, whatever, that has stacks of proof that's necessary to write a Grand Slam home run winner. Because when you make a statement, you have to, if you make a big statement, you have to back it up with an equal amount of proof or else you're not going to get the Grand Slam response that you want. Because obviously people are skeptical. They've been promised things that and products haven't delivered. So another thing that's important, that's beautiful, exactly what you said is true. Another thing that I think is important in copywriting, if you look at, at, at my copywriting, I like to act like the voice of the, when I write, I like to act like the voice of the prospect. Now, when I'm writing, I throw in a lot of phrases like, let's say I'm writing a supplement on joint pain, and this is a spokesperson talking, but I'm, I'm the copywriter. And, but, you know, when I heard about this ingredient, I was skeptical. I had tried so many joint pain supplements like these, and they didn't never work. So I hesitantly tried it, but I didn't think it would work because that's what the prospect's thinking, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm on his, his or her side. But then when, when I saw this proof, so I'm always looking at it from a skeptic. I put myself in the prospect's shoes. I'm looking at it from the skeptical side and writing from the skeptical side. You know, I want to take a little bit of a side tour because I was talking with a client yesterday, totally different business than anything we've talked about today. But he was telling me that exactly what you're talking about, looking at it from the prospect's point of view, and he's in an industry that's undergoing a massive shift because of a lot of emotional currents running through society right now. And he said his smaller clients, they picked up on it right away. They got it. But the bigger clients, they still wanted to beat their chest and use their old methods. Yet you write for a, a lot of large clients. Do you ever get any pushback about writing from the prospect's point of view, from the large clients or anybody else? No. Actually, I don't like to write for large clients. 
I don't oh. like to write for large companies. Really? You know why? They, they drive you crazy with committees, I, I, meetings. Yeah, com oh, God. The secretary says use isn't instead of aren't or this. And people that have no business sometimes being involved in it are in it making decisions. And they, of course, if someone, I'm, I'm always, I get, I pay to, ha I pay a lot of money a year to have A-list copywriters critique all my work before I send it to a client. I want as much criticism on my copy that from qualified people. And of course, I believe 100% in legal review and compliance, but that's different from unqualified people. And there's all kinds of delays and committees. And then they all oh, think we want to change. They say, oh, I think we want to change our focus. So just the corporate BS and nonsense. So that's not my, <laughs> that's not my favorite thing in life. But but what you were saying is no, the, the good clients, the ones that are very successful and entrepreneurial, no, they don't, they want results. They want the best results. So they don't, they don't have any pushback on that. I, I mean, we both worked for different divisions of Agora and I've never seen a problem there, you know, mm -hmm. writing in the customer's voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But they, they started with copy. Anyway. Yeah. All right. It's kind of off topic, but I, I just wanted to get your, your take on that. How about overcoming objections? Is that kind of a, the flip side of proof? That is the flip side of being of, of thinking like your prospect. Because you're, if you think like your prospect, you know what their objections are. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You, know, you, you just know what their objections are. Uh, you, and you answer them as, as you're going along and you meet them head on. And, um, you, don't, you never ignore them. Right. You never ignore them. That's the biggest mistake you can make is to ignore people's objections. Like, because the customer is the boss, the king and the queen, and they have their own, they have their own patterns of thought. And you have to, if you, they're going to have certain preformed thoughts about what you're selling. And you have to, sometimes you have to do a lot of work to change their thought patterns. So answering objections is very important. Is there anything in particular that you found is really effective in getting into the customer's head in the first place? I guess after years and years of experience in the same niche, in the same market, if there are about 10 product categories, some of it just becomes as familiar to you as the back of your hand. But is, is there, maybe if you could even think back for some of our less experienced viewers and listeners, how you know, Gary Howard used to go to a bar and show people sales letters and stuff like that. I mean, have you done things like that? Or do you have your own ways of getting to inside the prospect's head? Yeah. One of the things I do is I hire a psychologist to find the unspoken desires of markets I'm writing for. Wow. For example, yeah. For example, I, I there's a three psychologists, different ones I use for different types of projects. But what are we talking about? joint pain relief or something. So there's one that deals that mostly see seniors and older people have joint pain. So that it's a lady psychologist, female psychologist, I would hire her and she would anonymously and compliantly tell me what are the unspoken desires regarding joint pain that people have because people tend to tell everything to their thera trusted therapist. Mm -hmm. And she probably has, she, I know she does, has thousands of combined hours talking about pain what better person in the world could you talk to about pain real deep level four or five thoughts about pain what they're afraid of and what they want and blah 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 that's a great way to get information that you normally wouldn't get 
the first time I've heard that one, I really like it. How did you even find these psychologists? How did you know which <laughs> ones to choose? Just probably a thought I had, hey, let's try this out. And looked around for a specialist in certain areas and talked to them, said, hey, this is a different idea I have. Would you be open to trying this? And, you know, there's things, sign all kinds of disclosures. They can't mention any name. Of course not. It's all compliant, HIPAA compliant and all that. But Oh, that, that's interesting. What about urgency? How do you add urgency? Because someone can be all excited and say, well, I'll do this tomorrow. Well, I'll do this next week. Well, I'll do this next month. How do you get them to do it right now? Yeah, I think that is so, so, so important. Yeah, I mean, who's ever listening is ask yourself this. Why do you think your local furniture store car dealer says we have a sale that Saturday and Saturday only, Sunday only? President's Day sale, Labor Day sale only. Why do you think it's this weekend only? Why do you think there's so many tight window quick sales that have a deadline, a tight time frame? Why do you see, why does even Amazon have one day sales? They even have their, I forget what they're called. These, yeah, Prime Day or something, right? Yeah, Prime Day, but they even have a 20 minute flash sales or something. Uh, no, we do that too on our order forms. We put these 20 minute countdown timers on the order forms, 10 minutes sometimes, whatever tests out better. But urgency, yeah, I, I bet there's, if you look at the abandoned rates on carts, it's so many more people go to carts and don't order than actually go to carts and order. But so there's a huge inertia, especially online, because unless you give people, unless you really get people to order immediately you're just leaving money on the huge amount of money on the table now so how do you do that like david said how do you do that you know there's there's ways i don't like which are to be too manipulative and fake which are oh you know we have you see it and i don't like it we have 128 bottles left that's not true and i think if you lose the viewers credibility then you just you're asking for trouble long term and stuff like so i don't like that kind of stuff but there's ways like if there's ways you could have a you know one today we guarantee these prices today only today only we can guarantee these prices and this special offer this special deal you can throw in a bonus if you order within 10 minutes so there's ways but in the copy basically you're building up to a crescendo of peak amount of desire you know have a formula. Here's what you'll lose out. Here's why you need to act now. Nothing will change unless you do this. You know, I use a fork in the road kind of close. Mm -hmm. You have three choices or two choices. You can do nothing, of course, and you know, nothing will change and you'll still have these problems specifically. Here they are. So does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. And when you're talking, when you're saying, ask yourself why stores do this, I was reading an article yesterday online. I'm trying desperately to remember the name of the publication, but I can't, it's blanking on that. But one of the things, th these were like 20 dumb moves businesses, big businesses made that caused them to crash and burn. And I think it was J.C. Penney who decided, we're not going to do sales anymore. We're just going to have the lowest prices everywhere. And they found out the customers didn't like that. The customers liked the sales. They didn't feel like they were being manipulator whipsawed they felt like they were getting something really cool and they went out of business yeah every everybody you got it you either swimming with human psychology or against the tide you either swimming with the tide or against the tide so why swim against the tide it's 10 times tougher 
I don't know. I guess because people get on their moral high horse. It's ideology. Ideology, probably one of the most dangerous things in humankind. But so it goes. What about getting a high average order value? I, I know that for a lot of supplements and really a lot of businesses these days, you need to have that higher average order value in order to be able to grow, to keep advertising, stay in business. Yeah, it's one of the keys. One of the keys. Yeah. So most businesses think, okay, I'm going to hire Mike or David or someone to write this supplement offer. And, they, and then the upsells is, are an afterthought, right? When you're developing your front end offer and hiring your copywriter, think of the most, come, use, use some hard thinking, think of some congruent related upsells right away and get those into place and get the copy written for them. Because somebody might come up with an average order value selling the same supplement of you, their average order value with the upsell one, upsell two, upsell three might be $180 on the average order value. And you're sitting there with some lousy order value of 60 bucks, 70, 80 bucks or something. There's no way you can compete and scale on Facebook, any of the other media, email, pay CPAs, go on ClickBank, do anything where you can scale your business and have a business that scales up and makes you a lot of money to compete with the, the other people unless you get your average order value up to where the, the successful companies have theirs. So think about those upsells initially, work with the pro that knows what upsells work the best and get those into place right away. That's 90% of it. So that's important. Did you have any questions or you want what, what did you want me to elaborate on anything there, David? Yeah, actually, we're coming to the close of this show, but I'm really glad to find out that you came on because you're on a mission because you see so much disinformation out there about copywriting and not helping the copywriters. It's not helping the businesses. It's not helping the customers who need the kind of things we sell. If there's one thing that, that you'd like to leave everybody with to, to remember, and my hunch would be there's a lot of planning and, and thinking that that goes into this whole process besides just writing with very persuasive words and so forth. But I don't, I don't want to choose for you. I just wanted to point that out. That's what I'm getting out of this. I mean, what is the one thing you'd like everybody to know? Can I give you two quick things? Sure. Okay. If I'm going to give you one thing, if you're a copywriter and one thing, you're, if you're an offer owner, if you're a copywriter, the biggest jump you can make in your copywriting talent, is to get your copy critiqued by an A-level copywriter, okay? okay? I was recently reading a book, a great book by a great author. It's called Einstein, and, and it's by Walter Isaacson. Are you familiar with him? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I have one of his books. I've, I've been wanting to read that one, too. You know what, Einstein, when he came up with a new scientific theory, he was probably the greatest thinker, at least in modern times, he would send it to a few of his colleagues that he respected their opinions on and have them critique it. So if Einstein can do it, and Einstein thought it was worthwhile and he needed it to make him better, well, I think you and I, and me after doing this for 30 years, should do it too. So yeah. if you want to make, no matter what it costs, spend money, don't be cheap, get your copy critiqued because that's how you're going to level up and get much better as a copywriter, as an offer owner, this is gonna sound self-serving, but you're probably not hiring your copywriters that are experienced enough and 
they have a high enough fee. The best, most successful, fastest growing, most profitable direct response entrepreneurs hire the most expensive copywriters because they know that pays off in multiples exponentially. You get what you pay for. If you think you're saving $10,000 or $20,000 on a copywriting fee, you're not. It's fake savings. Save money on everything else in direct response business except your copywriting because that's what makes your business succeed or not succeed. And my schedule is over busy. I'm not looking for work. So I'm not saying that for me. I'm just saying that if as a business owner, that would be the number one piece of advice that I would give. Well, those are two great pieces of advice. And as someone who gives critiques myself, I guess it's a little self-serving, but I totally agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming on because both of these last two episodes were just chock filled with gold nuggets. And I appreciate you taking the time to share your knowledge with our audience. And if people do want to find out more about you or follow your work, you said you have a website. Where can people find you at? Yeah, Nathan, I do have a website. It's myname.com. So mikepavlish.com. Okay, mikepavlish.com. Don't type in myname.com because you won't find Mike there. <laughs> and we'll, right. put, we'll put that in the show notes too. Absolutely. Mike, thank you again, man, for coming on. This has been a wealth of knowledge. I appreciate it. I know the listeners appreciate it. Listeners, if you missed the first episode, go find it at copywriterspodcast.com. Make sure you're subscribed to the show so you never miss episodes like this in the future. And until next time, we will catch you later. Catch you later. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.